acts of worship here, right? And like I said, this is where denominations come from. This is where all these kind of what I'd call splinter groups come from. Because we're all sitting around arguing about how we should worship, right? Who's ever seen somebody do something um, that you just didn't like? Not, not, not necessarily in church, but just you, just, you look at it and you just, you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I used to watch a, a TV show um, that was basically a bunch of idiots doing stupid stunts for no apparent reason. I mean, dumb things. They strapped bottle rockets to skates and lit them on fire to see if they could skate. I mean, just stupid things, right? And my dad would sit in judgment of us when we tried to replicate that. And I took a treadmill. It was funny last night. We were sitting over at my brother's house and my dad was watching Forged in Fire. It's his favorite show. Uh, I don't know what he's going to do in Belize because he doesn't get that channel. So <laughs> he's probably going to be like FaceTiming me and telling me to just put it on the TV so he can watch it or something. But <laughs> yeah, he'll build his own forge. Yeah. But when he was watching this show, he said, Jared, Jared, you got to see this. You got to see this. And this guy used a treadmill, which I've used a treadmill for other reasons other than treadmill. I've never actually used it for the right purpose, come to think of it. Uh, <laughs> but he used a treadmill to control the motor uh, that, that spun his little grinder. So he'd do the treadmill speed and make it spin his motor. That's like as redneck as you can get. I used a treadmill once. And uh, I decided to tear it apart and put a scooter, like those Razor scooters, on the front of it, and that was my steering wheel, and so I could run and then, you know, kind of go down this hill. It worked once, um, and my dad made me throw it away. But you say, what does that have to do with it? Well, that was the way in which I decided to use a treadmill. And I was, someone stood in judgment of me and said, that's dumb. Granted, it was, but that was the way I chose to do it. And mom said I could have the treadmill. She didn't specify why. I had to think she was wondering why a 12-year-old boy wanted a treadmill, but... <laughs> These are things, we use things in different ways and we do things in different ways. And what we have to understand is that doesn't mean it's wrong or that you have to do it. So for instance, this morning as we were singing, what did I do? I had my hands up a few times. I know Wally did, he about whacked me in the head. <laughs> That's why I kind of took a step over. I was like, Wally's going to start spinning in a minute. <laughs> but just because someone else does it doesn't mean you have to do it, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is these acts of worship. Now, we chose the term acts for this reason. We're going to define a few things this morning, and I'm going to summarize about a, three chapters of Scripture to you. Um, I'll tell you where it's all located because you're going to need that. But first off, I'd like to just quote this, this, this one Scripture that uh, my lovely sister-in-law brought uh, to my attention again. And it's John 3, 31, uh, 30 and 31. It says, he must increase but I must decrease. So keep that in your mind. Write that down. That's John uh, 3, verses 30 and 31. You're going to want to refer back to those throughout from now till Easter as well. But let's de define a few words real quick. Let's first define act. What is act? Well, act is to take action. That's where we get the word action from. It's to take action or to take part in something. And it means to behave in a specific way. Okay? To behave in a specific way. So these acts are a specific thing that you're doing, that you're taking action of. And so if they're an act, something you take action of, of worship. Now worship is an interesting uh, word here, so we're going to define worship here as well. So act is to take action or to believe, uh, to, to believe or to act in a specific way, to behave that way. Worship means this. All throughout scripture, there's really only like two or three words used for worship. And worship is mentioned so many times in the Bible. Matter of fact, one of the other words that you see in scripture that actually means the same thing as worship is serve. 
So if you see it, serve God, worship God, uh, all those things, those are actually the same word being used throughout Scripture, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, one's obviously in, in Hebrew, because that's the Old Testament, and one's in Greek, that's the New Testament. But here's what worship means. It means simply this. It means to bow down. That's the first original word of worship, is to bow down. It also means to kiss the hand of a master. So like a dog, you know, licking the hand of a master, just so excited that someone's there. My brother, again, they have a little puppy. He's not such a, I mean, he's a puppy, but he's still, he's getting big. And that dog goes ballistic. Well, used to there. He's trained. He's getting trained now. <laughs> but he used to go ballistic when someone would walk through the door. And I, I live behind my brother. So we have about a, a good acre that I walk across. And if that dog's out there, as soon as he opens it, you can see him. He just goes. <laughs> and, he, and he hears it open. And you get about four steps in. And all of a sudden, he just takes off running, running in circles, just going around crazy. I mean, he just loves it because someone's there with him. That's worship. In and of itself, the excitement of being in the presence of something. But it means to bow down. This is the one that this is the definition that I really like the best right here. So bow down, kiss the hand of. Some of you may have heard this before, and that's fine. Write it down again, because um, trust me, you're going to need to refer back to this uh, for the next several weeks. But this is the one I love the most. It says a feeling or a need or desire to express adoration. I loved that definition. A feeling or a need, uh, a desire to express adoration. Now. I was going to uh, uh, use a, a little example here, but uh, um, I'm, I'm going to use I'm going to use it, but I was going to put it up there for you. Again, everybody worships in different ways. Who's ever heard this this term right here? Oh, he worships her. He worships the ground she walks on. Typically, always that way. I don't think it's ever that the women are worshiping us guys. Uh, I guess we're not much to, to adore sometimes, <laughs> but we all express that in different ways. Right. And the way we express it is based off our relationship with the individual that we worship. So for instance, my wife, I do things for my wife that your wife or your significant other, husband, what have you, probably wouldn't appreciate, would maybe think's dumb. They would maybe prefer this. My wife is not really much of a, a jewelry, you know, she likes it, but you know, she's just as happy. She loves, loves flowers, like real flowers. Matter of fact, like that, that's one of the things she loves the most. How do I know all that? I have a relationship with her and I've worshiped her in different ways and some she stood in judgment of. Uh, that was just a little joke, but, but it's, it's about the relationship and that's how you know the acts to do for whoever you have that desire to press that adoration on. Now I'm saying whoever right now, but as we should all know, what we're talking about right now is acts of worship to our God, to Christ, our Lord, right? So I want to say one other thing. So in Hebrew, this is a very interesting thing. One of the words, because remember there's, there's really only like two or three words used for worship. This is the craziest, coolest thing to me. The word in Hebrew, I'm going to spell it for you because I'm not going to try to say it. It sounds almost like a Harry Potter thing to me. It's A-V-O-D-A or A-V-D-A-H. That word there, um, y'all can try to pronounce it all you want. It literally means they use the exact same word for worship as they do for work. Same word. They use it for both. So to say that you were going to go work the fields and you were going to go worship God, they actually use the same word to determine that because it's an act of work. Everybody thinks worship is easy. I'll tell you, it is not easy because what worship requires of us is to bow down. Every act of worship is rooted in humility. So we're going to say something. Everybody say this. Say, I'm a natural. Look at the person beside you say, you're a natural. Y'all ever heard that about somebody? I've been told that about music. I'm, my Uncle Randy and certain people just, they pick up an instrument, right? And they say, oh man, he's just a natural at it. Let me tell you what you're a natural at? Worshiping. 
Oh, but why is it hard? We're going to discover that here in just a minute. So they use the same word for work and for worship. So you know what business you're in? Somebody says, hey, so what business are you in? I'm in the business of worship because that's what you're working to do. We're in the business of worship. We're naturals. So let's, let's look at Colossians chapter 2 and 3. You don't have to turn there because this is the, the chapters I'm about to summarize for you. This is part of your homework. You've got a lot of homework here. I, I issue a lot of homework because you've got to go read these chapters to verify that what I'm about to tell you in this, this story I'm about to tell you is correct. And it starts in Colossians chapter 2 and it goes all the way through the end of chapter 3 and on, uh, and on in a little bit uh, to, to the, the, or sorry, the first chapter, second and third chapter there. Um, but core starting at um, the second chapter here. So why is there then so much issue around worship? And I understand this is a little bit of a different style of teaching for me because I'm giving you a lot of information right now and it's to get to the, to the end result here. So why so much difference? Well, it comes down to relationship, right? I use the example of the things that I, uh, the, the way that I worship my wife and the things that I do for her. Recently, I did something that to most people would have been just dumb. And I realized later that it got everywhere and it doesn't come off very easily, which is sidewalk chalk. I decided I was going to be romantic and I was going to write in our garage because I cleaned our garage out, which was the real act of worship for her. So she could park her car in the garage. Uh, Scrappy, that's, that's just for you, man. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd get an amen out of Steph for that one, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I used sidewalk chalk and I wrote on the ground, which by the way, don't do it because it doesn't rain in your garage, so therefore it doesn't come off. Didn't, again, didn't think that act of worship through very well at all, uh, but that was something I did for my wife and I knew she would enjoy it because it was something that I took my time out to do. You may do that and you may upset somebody uh, in your family or something like that, right? It may not be something that means anything to the individual that you have that relationship with, but the acts change, but the heart is the same, okay? So let's look at this real quick. In Colossians, here's what's happening, okay? This is being written um, and explaining basically everything we're talking about. Here's what happens. He says, this is Paul talking, and he says, uh, check it out, guys. You need to ensure that you do not worship in the acts of men, the way that men tell you to do it. You need to follow Christ and do it in the way that he says do it. Okay? And I'm, like I said, I'm summarizing this way down because we'd be here for hours reading through this and then deciphering all the different things. Because Paul must ramble a lot because he talks and then he says the same points again. And then he says half the same points and he just keeps saying it over and over and over. So. <laughs> but he says, listen, don't do it in the, in the way that man tells you to do it. Don't do it in the way religion tells you to do it. He says, do it in the way God. Because when, when, when God, when you set your heart on Christ, now all of a sudden these things start to not matter as much. And, and he talks about how he sees people say, oh, well, you know, don't, don't eat this. Don't drink this. Don't worship here. Don't do this and do this and do this. And he says, let all that go and just let the heart be for Christ, when the heart is for Christ, these things fall in line. This is the Jared version of, of what is being said here, okay? Now, I mean, they even go down to, to talking, about, uh, talking about on which day you should worship. He actually goes in and says, they say you should worship on the holy days or on the Sabbath day or on a new moon and all this kind of stuff. What he's talking about there, just so you kind of, when you go through and read this, there was three core cultures that were kind of happening uh, in the, at the time which was basically a pagan religion culture. Uh, then you had the Jewish uh, religion and culture, and then you had the Greek and Roman culture coming in. There were all these different things happening. So they had these people that were saying, well, I believe in Christ, but I think you should worship on a Saturday because that's the seventh day and that's the Sabbath day. And then you have 
something else. Whatever. Does this sound like normal church to you guys, right? And then, no, I don't go. We don't worship over here because they don't have church on Sunday nights. And then we go over here, right? And that's what Paul's saying. Is like, it doesn't matter the day, the time. And he says this one thing that's the core behind all this. And this is in verse 23. So it's chapter 3, verse 23 of Colossians. You can put this one up here, Jonathan, if you want. Colossians 3, uh, um, verse 23. And it says... Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it if it's not up there. Ah, there we go. Okay, so, and whatsoever you do, do it heartedly. That word that we would use is wholeheartedly, with everything you have, as unto, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Whatever you do, do it full-heartedly as unto God. So he's saying here, it doesn't matter what act of worship you want to do. It doesn't matter if you want to lift your hands, if you want to bow down, if you want to do this. Do it with your whole heart in reverence to Christ. And it doesn't matter the date, the time, the place, right? Now, I want you to go and read those two chapters there so you can get a full understanding of everything. Because this is what we're doing. We're getting caught up on the doctrine and, and, and losing the heart. It doesn't matter if I buy my wife. Listen, let's do it this way. I buy my wife a, a dozen roses. I can then go buy Aunt Trisha a dozen roses. Same act. But trust me, they are given in a very different heart motive. Right? Two different people. Same act, two different people. It's the heart motive. And this is what Paul was trying to tell us over and over and over again. And it's not just in Colossians. It's in Ephesians 6. Uh, if you want to go to Ephesians 6, trust me, I know what Ephesians 6, 1 says. That is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That was the only part of Ephesians that was ever quoted to me uh, time and time again. Uh, but... Ephesians says the exact same thing, basically. It starts off talking about obey and obey this, and, and husbands, submit yourselves to your wives, and wives, submit yourselves to the husband. Uh, as Christ loves the church, you love your wives, so on and so forth. It goes through all this stuff, and then he says, all of it over again. But stop getting caught up on the doctrinal things, on the acts themselves, and do it with your heart. Whatever is impressed on your heart to do, that's what you need to do, right? So we see all these different things and these different doctrines happening, and this is what Paul shows us. It's the heart matter. Everybody say, I'm a natural. What are you in the business of? Worship. I'm a natural. I'm just in the business of worship. Right? So, let's look at this real quick. This is where we're going to have some fun. Okay? I'm actually about to define all of those acts. If you've got the little, uh, little uh, handout brochure, pamphlet, the Illumajigger, uh, that Jim handed out, you'll notice on the flap it says acts of worship. It's also on Facebook there, and there's pictures. We're actually about to go through. These are not the only acts of worship, but these are a few acts of worship. And you may look at these acts and say, well, I know exactly what these mean, and that's great. Some of us may not. And these acts of worship are going to be heavily defined throughout the week in the little podcast, but then they're going to mean more and more as we build on this every single week. We're like building a wall right now. We're adding a brick by brick by brick. So it takes a little bit of foundation work here at the beginning to make sure that what we're building is built upon something strong, right? So let's look at a few of these. Speaking. Speaking is the first act of worship. Do you know that's also the first thing mentioned in Scripture when it says, and God said. It's the first thing that he did, so thus it should be the first thing that we do. Speak. Now, what is, what is speaking? You may say, oh, well, it's like praying. Well, praying's actually different. You'll notice we put speaking and praying separately. Speaking is this right here. I'm going to tell you all something great God did for me. And I'm going to tell you, we sometimes refer to that as praise, but that's the first act of worship is to use your mouth. What does this do when we, when we say things with our mouth about Christ, about our Lord, about our Savior? It does two things. It tells other people what we believe and who we are. And then it tells us what we believe and who we are. It does two things. It not only encourages the other individual you're speaking to, but it encourages yourself, right? Y'all ever seen in the movies, like, 
when they're getting pumped up, ready to go to a fight or whatever like that, they're like looking in the mirror and, and they're telling themselves, you're awesome, you're great, you're handsome, whatever, right? And they say, you got this, you got this, right? Just say, I'm a natural. Everybody say that. I'm a natural. So speaking is the first act of worship. This is also the easiest one. Usually everybody can say it, but there's other steps that follow after, right? You can say, we always use the term, you can walk the walk, but can you t- or talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? You know, those kind of things come from this. This is the first act of worship we have to do. This is the first thing we use to build ourselves up and to build others up. The next one is prayer. Uh, Prayer and meditation are usually combined kind of together. They are separate things, though. But this is the next act of worship. What is the difference between just speaking to other people about Christ or telling yourself things about Christ and, and God or prayer? Prayer is talking directly to him, right? There's a difference in me telling you, I, I love my wife, you know, saying, hey, Tony, I love my wife. And then saying, hey, Leslie, I love my wife. That is a completely different thing than me telling my wife, I love you, right? That's the version of a prayer directly to the individual. And then speaking is just to other people. That's the difference. Now, meditation is this right here. Meditation is I'm driving down the road in my car and all I keep thinking is, man, I love my wife man, she's so great. That is meditation. Meditation is basically replaying something over and over and over and over in your mind, keeping it in your mind. There's scripture after scripture after scripture that talks about keep your eye on the kingdom, keep your sight set on the kingdom. Why? Because you're meditating on it day and night, right? Psalms 1.1 says this, uh, said, blessed is the man that walks in the council, uh, not in the council of God, nor sets in the way of sin, nor seats in sin, that's scornful for his delight and is the law of the Lord. And does he meditate day and night, day and night, night and day, day and night, night and day, always keeping it, replaying it in your mind. And then prayer is talking to God. So we see these differential things in the ways that we can worship. Why are there so many acts of worship? Because we're all very different, right? So meditation and prayer, kind of differently. So prayer is communing directly with God. Uh, We even call it communion, right? But communing, talking, back and forth, having a conversation with God. Meditation is replaying it over and over in your mind. Now, the next one is a cool one to me because I I did some deeper research on all these and I thought this was cool. Everybody take your hands like this. Jazz hands? No. Uh, (laughs) But take your hands like this and just go this. Do it again. Right? Okay, what is that called? It's called, well, or an applause, clapping, yes. Clapping, applause. By the way, I just helped your heart and your blood circulation, just so you know. Clapping actually has scientifically proven that it helps your heart and blood flow circulation. So just start clapping. But what is clapping used for? It's been used from through the dawn of time. Y'all ever watch medieval movies? What do they do? They're all sitting around drinking their ale and they start going and banging on the tables, right? It's creating noise. There's a whole other interesting thing about the creating of sounds and things of that nature. But applause is used for this. It's used to show appreciation. What do you do at the end of a, of a, 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 a concert or the end of, of a song or something like that? What typically happens? Everybody starts clapping. Why? They're showing their appreciation. You say, well, how's that an act of worship to God? It's easy because there's things that he's done in my life and I know he's done in your life that we need to show appreciation for and get our blood flowing a little bit. So we clap our hands. We clap our hands. You know this about applause? There's a thing called a standing ovation. There's actually a graph. 
this is interesting. This is how much time scientists have on their hands. But there's a graph that they show with what's called dB levels. That's how loud something is, right? So like this right here is like at negative 60 dB. That's like, like usual, right? So decibel levels. And they actually have a graph that shows applause from no applause to light applause all the way up. And ovation is like way up here at the top. It's like, you know, like zero dBs is like really high, by the way. It goes negative to positive, right? So decibels, that it, it gets uh, the, the lower the number, rather, the higher the sound. And the very top one is called an ovation. And we say, oh, they got a standing ovation. What is that? Everybody stood up in appreciation and clapped their hands. And standing ovations don't happen for a second. They happen for a long, 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 long time. They go on and on like free bird. It's just a forever, never-ending thing, right? They clap. So here's the interesting thing. How loud and how long an applause lasts is determining of how appreciative the people were in natural things. Now let's apply that to spiritual things. When God does something in our life and is moving in our place, right now there's shifts happening all over the place. Uh, better be careful saying that a little bit too fast. Uh, there's shifts happening everywhere in our lives, in this church, and everything like that. And I'm grateful for it. So what should we do? Give them a standing ovation and clap because there are things happening that we're appreciative for. This is an act of worship. This is also the first act of worship that we're discussing that starts to require something of you physically. It requires your physical body. I mean, speaking, yes, sure. Praying, yes, sure. But clapping is, could you imagine, you're standing in Walmart... And you think about something God's done for you, you just start going, Woo! I dare you to do it just for fun this week. Somebody, and then film it and put it on Facebook because I want to see how crazy people think you are. They would think you're nuts, right? Let's look at the next one, lifting our hands. They would also think you're nuts if you did this. And you walk into Walmart and you just go, Woo! And lift your hands, wouldn't they? I'm almost church. almost came and tucked. <laughs> Lifting your hands. Here's, lifting your hands can have several meanings. And again, this, some of this may be old hat to you guys, and I know this is a little bit more defining because I've got one thing to show you at the end here. But lifting your hands has several different meanings. The number one meaning that we use it for is surrender. What do the cops say? I've never had this happen to me, but some of you other people may have. Come out with your hands up. Why? I surrender. I did play paintball. My mom is convinced she wants to play paintball. If anybody wants in on this, we're going to try to take her before they go to Belize, and I'm not even kidding. She doesn't think it's going to hurt. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, we could get everybody. We could get Jim and Francis. And then she starts going, I was like, Mom, that hurts. Like, me. <laughs> she's crazy. But what do you do whenever you're out of bullets? I give up. Hands up. So when we're lifting our hands in times of worship, it's simply that. It's saying, hey, I give up. I surrender, God, to whatever it is that you have for me. Now, it can also mean something like, you know, hey, hold me, right? That was the, one of the examples that, that uh, my dad gave last week was like sometimes kids, they hold up their hands and come running. Why? I just need you to hold me. It can mean because it's a heart motive. It's not the act itself. It's the heart motive behind it that what Christ and God is looking at is saying, what's the heart say? You know, so it could be I surrender. God, take control. Jesus, take the wheel. You know, don't do that in your car, please. Um, I mean, he may take the wheel, but so will gravity and you will go somewhere else. So, but you can lift your hands. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of control. You know, I was actually thinking about that because, again, I got to go through worship with already have studied this. And I, I kept thinking in, in worship, I'm so used to playing guitar, I just do one hand. And, and I'm not saying that you're more holy if you lift two or one. But it's just something in me was saying, 
you're half surrendered. And I was like, okay, other hand up. And I was like, but, but this arm's tired. <sighs> okay, fine, this arm. And I was like, oh, but you're still half surrendered. And I kept thinking about that as I was lifting my hands, you know. And again, I'm not saying that if you do this, you're not lifting your hand to surrender. It's what, again, it's not the act. It's the heart behind the act. So lifting your hands, this is a very common one, right? Here's, here's one that is the most awkward for people and I think is the ultimate uh, act of humility to me personally. It may not to you, but to me it does. Remember, all acts of worship are rooted in humility. They're all rooted there. They all come from there because that's the place that God wants us is to be humbled to him and to walk with him and let him take control, right? I surrender. Hands up. Thank you for what you did. Now I'm going to talk to you about what you've done and what I need and what you need. And God lead me. And then I'm going to tell other people about it. These are all acts of worship that we can do to get us to where we need to be. But here's the next one. It's actually the straight definition of worship to bow down. Bowing down is, in my opinion, one of the most humbling things that God has ever asked me to do personally. Because I've had times where I feel that is something I need to do. And I don't like it. I've done it several times and I still don't like it. I even like it less when I'm up here trying to sing and like, you know, get a standing ovation from you guys, you know. Now. <laughs> but, and he's like, and I felt that need bow down. It's like, but I got a guitar and it's difficult and da, 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 but bow down. Now the interesting thing is, is the bow down here is quite literally the definition of worship, but it's also, I got this image in my head and y'all know me, I love theatrics, but I couldn't pull it off because I thought of this yesterday, uh, in true procrastinator fashion. Uh, I thought of it yesterday. But this is what I think of, of, of bowing down, right? I think of, it's about laying down pride. Every act of worship is related to laying down our own selfish pride, to laying down our physical self so the spiritual self can rise up. And this is what I saw, is every time you bow down, whether it's here, again, it doesn't matter if it's a new moon, a Sabbath day, a holy day, like Paul was saying, it doesn't matter if it's here, if it's anywhere. Again, Walmart is a perfectly good place to bow down. But this is what I saw. When you bow down and you come back up, you leave a little bit more there. Spirit rises, self falls. Spirit rises, he must increase and I must decrease. Every time we humble ourselves in this act of worship that is simply laying down the flesh and saying, you know what, body, you got to do what the spirit says to do because I'm spirit first and physical later. Y'all are aware there are two people inside of you, really kind of three inside you. There's your, your flesh, your physical self. Then there's your, your spirit and your soul. And the spirit is the thing that lives eternal. This body does not live eternal. All your emotions and all that kind of stuff that come with it doesn't live forever, but your spirit does. And it's just like a muscle in your body. It needs to be exercised. Well, the only way it can be exercised is if you get, y'all ever seen, again, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I'm saying, you ever seen those guys that have like the gigantic arms, but they also look like this pulpit. They're about that big down low because all, it's all about the bicep, right? Or whatever. Now it's all about core these days. I got a core, all right. <laughs> just hollowed out one. So, <laughs> but You've got you've to you've get focused because it's like a muscle, but you focus on one muscle too much, and that's how we look. That's how we look walking around. I want you all to imagine yourself as a big bodybuilder, just huge up top, but your legs are just little bitty, little bitty chicken legs. Okay? I got some big thick thighs now and stuff, but little bitty chicken legs. Why? Because your physical self is in control. I've got the power. But your spirit's saying, we ain't running very far. Because I can't hold you up. And every time you bow, you're saying, I'm going to put a little bit more of myself down, a little bit more of my physical self down, and let the spirit rise up. I'm going to put more of myself down, spirit, because it is the most humiliating thing to do, to bow down. 
But when we humble ourselves and start to allow God to take control, it becomes natural because we're natural. We were created for worship. That's why we were created. That's what we're about to hit on. But that bowing down is is significant. Interesting to me, that view of bowing down and saying, I'm going to put my physical self down. I'm going to make my physical self submit and put my pride down and say, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what people think. I'm going to do this as an act. God showing you physically that I want more spirit, more of you, less of me. You must increase. I must decrease. I'm going to go down. When I go down, I'm going to leave it there. A lot of us like to get down and then pick it up and carry it with us. No, we're going to leave it there. And when I stand up, I want more spirit in my life. When we do that, though, I thought of an interesting thing. I kind of saw it like baptism. Because that's what baptism is. It's another form, an act of worship. It's an outward sign to other people that you are laying down the flesh, man. And when I come up, I am drenched and I am covered. That's why we do full submersion. All those sprinklers, they don't got it right. But what is that? Oh, that's just doctrine. They're just doing it a different way. Does it matter if the heart's right? No. But when I go down, the physical self stays. My spirit arises. Baptism is the same thing. It's an act of humility to it. Now, let's talk about these last two real quick, and then I'm going to give you my, my kind of final wrap-up point that starts us on the path. All we've been doing right now is checking the air in the tires. We're getting ready on a journey. What's the first thing you do before you get ready to go on a trip? Check, I hope y'all check your tire pressure. Make sure you got you know, your oil's right. Make sure you're, you've got gas in the car, right? You, that's what we're doing right now. We're putting gas in the car. We're checking our oil pressure. I'm giving you all these definitions. So when we start on this journey, starting at the end of today, you're primed and ready. And if you don't make it through the journey because you run out of gas, there's gas stations along the way. It's called Wednesday night. That's the gas station to help you up throughout the week, okay? That's the next steps. That's your gas station. So let's look at this next one, giving. As soon as I said that, all y'all put the little emoji sign in your head with dollar signs as the eyes. Every person in here just thought of money. Giving is the act of worship. That's one of the reasons why we left it here. It's the act of worship that's been the most marginalized out of all of them. It's been shrunk down to such a, a small thing. And it's actually one of the biggest things because Christ calls us to give. It's not just about your tithes and your offerings. It's about giving of your time, giving of your emotions, giving of self to him, giving of self to other people. When you're going through, wait, we called this, you're in the business of worship. When you're at your job, when you're wherever you're doing, it is an act of giving constantly. So when I say giving, it's not just about your tithe and offerings. That's an aspect of giving and a very big aspect of it. But it also is the giving of your time, giving of yourself, giving of your emotions. This is the biggest thing. No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for one another. That's the scripture that, that we quote frequently. People say, no greater love has any man than to lay down his life. And they always refer to Christ laid down his life for us, which is absolutely the greatest act that was ever done in history. But I think of it this way, to lay down your life. Today, I've got to go home. I've got a mess at my house because we got all of my mother's crap that she didn't want. She gave it all to me and Justin. <laughs> and... I've got it all over the place. Taryn's rearranging stuff and everything. Y'all should have seen Taryn. I, can't, I couldn't climb a ladder because I hurt my back. And she's up on top of an eight-foot ladder with a dead gum steel thing about this tall, trying to put it up 10 feet in the air because that's where she wanted it. She wouldn't just wait. That's my wife, impatient. Um, I love you, honey. I worship you. Uh, but <laughs> but when, we, when, we, when we lay down our lives and we have all these things to do, that's a version of laying down your life. I think of this... Uh, when I think about Scrappy, I'm going to use you as an example, buddy, is uh, he, <coughs> when he uh, first started coming here, there were several occasions, and even recently, that he was out doing what have you, whatever, and we would call up Scrappy. Say, hey, Scrappy, you got a second, you got a minute to come and help out with this or whatever? 
He'd drop what he was doing and come help. That's giving. He laid down his life, his plans, his purpose, what he wanted to do for the day, and laid it down and said, nope, but I'm going to go help this other person. That's giving. That's an act of worship just like anything else. They shall know you're my disciples by your love for one another. By your giving, love is giving. That's a huge aspect of our belief. It's a huge aspect of the way we worship. Now let's talk about this last one here. Fasting. Yeah, this is an act of worship. <laughs> Most people think fasting is like, oh, that's for, the, for you know, just the preachers to do. Or that's just for you know, the worship leaders or something to do. That's just for the people who are trying to seek God a little deeper. Oh, it is, but you should be one of those people. <laughs> and here's fasting. And I'm not saying y'all go on a fast tomorrow. Like, that's up to you. Again, it's the heart matter. If your heart ain't in it, all you're doing is dieting, and that's not an act of worship. So if you say, oh, I'm going on a fast, I'm cutting out Cokes. Nope. The only way that that can become a fast is this right here. Every time you desire Coke, I heard a guy say this. His name is Michael Todd. You should check out his little podcast. He said this, and I love this, this statement. The only way that that is fasting is that every time you desire a Coke, you start praying. You start seeking spirit every time you desire a Coke. So, for instance, that would work great for my brother and my dad. They love Dr. Pepper, but they would never make it out the front door because <laughs> all they would be doing is praying all day long until the Dr. Pepper uh, <laughs> taste came out of their saliva, came out of their mouth, so they didn't taste it anymore. But fasting is this right here. Fasting is simply the same act of bowing down, the same act of clapping your hands, the same acts. It's just on a, more, a further extreme. Because here's what it is. Fasting is saying, I lay down myself, what my physical body wants and desires and needs for nourishment, and I choose to instead nourish my spirit instead of that. I did a little bit of studying on fasting. It's a pretty interesting thing. The whole point of fasting, right, is to draw closer to God. The whole point of it is to hear more clearly from God. It's to build that muscle so you're not a bicep man, you're a leg and bicep man or woman or whatever. It's to balance us out because we live in a world today that there is no balance to our spirituality. We don't really have that. We don't think of acts of worship outside of act of worship come to church. That's not the act of worship. The act of worship is in the heart. That's what you were created to do is for the relationship. And the only way to get closer is through these acts of worship. And fasting is just one of them that says, you know what? I'm going to take my physical self. I will deny you this self so I can grow my spirit here. And then when you come back out of that, you should be able to hear God more clearly. So fasting is another act of worship that you can use and say, you know what? If you're ever confused in life. And say, God, what are you doing? What are you, where are you taking me? I don't understand why this and this and this. When I don't understand, I'll choose you. Well, if you're sitting there, start fasting. Say, I want to hear you more clearly. And whatever way you want to do that fast, there's tons of different ways people fasted in the Bible. There's tons of ways you can do it in this modern age. If you have questions about that, come to me. Come to, to Taryn, Justin. Uh, I was about to call you Mimi. Mimi, Frida. Uh, <laughs> go to, to anybody in the church and say, hey, I want to know about fasting. How are you going to do this? Don't do this, though, guys. Don't say, I'm going to not eat and not drink water for four days. First off, you can only last about three days without water. So there were people, and I found this so interesting, guys. You know, we, science knows that we basically can live up to three, four days without water. You know, there's no one in the Bible that fasted uh, food and water for more than three days. It's interesting. I just found it so, so cool that the things that they decided to do actually match up, you know, scientifically. Uh, now, there's people who, 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 uh, who did food for, like, Christ 40 days, 40 nights and went on a fast. If you read what his fast was, though, it was strictly water and a specific type of bread. I'm not saying, that, oh, don't eat butter, don't eat bread. That's, again, that's a diet. It's about just denying self. 
to allow the spirit to arise. It's the same thing as the bowing down. It's just more elongated for clearer focus of it. It's the same thing as lifting your hands and saying, I surrender. God, take control. Show me what you will. It's the same thing as clapping and saying, God, I appreciate what you're doing. I want to hear more from you. That's what all these acts of worship are doing. They are different avenues and different ways in which we can express our love and devotion for God and for Christ and what he's done for us. But one of the key things behind that is it's the heart matter. Everybody say, I'm a natural. We're in the business of worship. We're going to look at one last uh, scripture right here. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis 1, 26, this is the chapter in which God creates man. And, uh, well, this is the whole creation story. You know, Genesis 1, 1 starts off with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness came upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And then he goes on and creates all. And that was the first day and all the things... Uh, move forward from that. And here's where man gets created right here in verse 26. It says, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and uh, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Next uh, verse. Here, and so God created man in his own image uh, and his own likeness created he him, male and female created he them. So boom, man gets created, right? This is God creating man. Now let's look at something. We're going to jump to chapter 3. You could read through the whole uh, creation story there because it tells you kind of uh, where every, all the different things came from and how we get to Adam and Eve. But we're going to jump here to Genesis 3, 8. Uh, and you don't have to put that one up there, Jonathan. If you want to, you can, but you, you don't have to. But Genesis 3, 8 says this right here. This is after, basically, um, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they take a bite and all this stuff. And it says that, uh, that uh, this verse says, And they heard the voice of God uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and then they hid from him. But this is an interesting piece because if you read through all of the creation story, what you come to find is the reason and the purpose of the creation of man, and really the creation of all, all things, was simply to worship God, to have a relationship with God. That's why you're a natural at it. That's what you were created for. It just comes naturally, but it comes spiritual naturally not physically naturally physically we hold anything back that says you want me to embarrass myself no you want me to uh, you know we, we don't we don't think of ourselves as prideful which is the instance that we actually are prideful is when we say oh i'm not prideful yeah like, i love those people that say oh i'm, I'm really humble really because you had to tell me that you were you're spiritually natural at worshiping, not physically natural. So we have to put down the physical self to allow the spirit to arise. Right now in our congregation as church, there are shifts happening consistently. And what we're having to learn to do more and more and more is say, all right, spirit, lead me. And to lead me where my trust is without borders. There's songs we sing about it all the time. I want to walk on the water with you. I want to do these things. It's going to require laying down ourself and laying down the pride through these acts of worship. That's why we do these things. So if we're in a service and you feel like, hey, I want to lift my hands because I I'm, I'm need God. I need to surrender my life to God. You know, hey, lift your hands up. If it's just need, you need God to hold you, just lift your hands up. If you're thankful for what he's done, just come in the church clapping or go clapping through Walmart all the time. You know, whatever it is you're doing, just stand in line at Starbucks as soon as you get your coffee. Woo! Thank you for the invention of coffee. Whatever. It starts with these little things, though. This is how we start to reprogram our mind to allow the spirit to walk first over us. As you can't go and walk out of this place, America, keep it in balance here. Walk out of this place, say, I'm fasting for three days, I'm doing nothing but praying. No, like by this afternoon, you're going to forget. 
It starts with the little things. It starts with waking up in the morning and saying, you know what? Thank you, God. It starts with the prayer in the morning. It starts with telling other people what God's done. As you do that, it builds your faith. As you start studying and reading, all of a sudden now you want to raise your hands. You want to bow down. It starts becoming natural because the Spirit starts to take control. And that's what these acts of worship are for. This is the groundwork of what we're about to embark on, is these acts of worship. Because that's what we were created for. And everybody will say, what's my purpose? I just told you. It's really simple. Worship. When you worship God, the heart gets right. All of a sudden, all these little trivial things about what exactly am I supposed to do, it doesn't matter to you anymore. You say, it's good, I do it. And you just start to do it. And then all of a sudden, then God starts to speak to you and say, ooh, this is my specific purpose for you. But it starts with understanding our original purpose, which is worship. To bow down, to humble the physical self and allow the spirit to rise. I want to leave you with uh, one last scripture. Uh, as uh, Actually, I'm going to say one more thing. So it's also very interesting because the key thing that we're going to discuss throughout this entire thing, all this week, by the way, every day that, like I said, go check Facebook, right? Because there's going to be little video clips. It's going to dive into a little more deep behind all of these acts of worship and behind where we're headed. Because there was a place that man was put whenever he was originally created. It happened right after chapter 27. I didn't want to read it because I didn't want to give too much away because I'll get too excited and then we'll end up being here for like hours. But what happens right after that is it says, and God took the man that he had formed from the dust of the ground and put him in a garden called Eden. Now Eden is something that we're going to be discussing quite at length, but I'm not going to tell you right now because it is the place and position that we are meant to be in in the presence of God. That's why he could walk and talk with Adam and Eve. That's why we were created to do that, is to worship and commune with him. And that place is the place we have to learn to get back to. You may say, are we all going to move somewhere into the Middle East where we think the Garden of Eden is? No. Again, because it's about the spirit taking control, not about the body, not about the physical location. It doesn't matter if you worship here. It doesn't matter if you worship there. It matters the heart motive behind these acts. So I want to leave you with this last uh, scripture, which is John 3, 30 and 31. You know it, say it with me. He must increase and I must decrease. Let's all say it again. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. All right, let's stand to our feet this morning. This is just our beginning of the acts of worship. Like I said, we're about to dive deeper in it. I hope this helped you. Some of us, I think, have questions sometimes about why, why do we see people lifting our hands? Why do we do these things? Like, what does it even matter? That's what we're going to dig a little more deeper into. Uh, and that's why it's going to end up taking us from now till Easter to go through. Because there's so much more to this. It's not just about the physical acts. There's so much more to this behind the heart that we're going to talk about. So let's all lift our hands and pray this, this morning. Father, we come up right now and we thank you for this time and this opportunity that we've had together to learn about how to worship you, Father God, to know your heart is our heart's desire, Father. Let, as we go throughout this week, our words be yours, our thoughts be yours, Father. Let us continually seek and draw closer to you in whatever way that we, we choose to worship you, God. Let our hearts be set on you fully. We pray that you continue to increase in our lives, to increase in, in our families' lives, in our children's lives, and in our friends' lives, Father God, that you continue to e increase and our physical self begins to decrease. We pray that you take us from this place and have your protection over us and that we keep our hearts and minds on you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.